Hello and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. I'm Emily Yoshida. I'm the entertainment editor at The Verge and I am joined by... Hey, I'm Liz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. And we do not have a guest today. We are just going all together in on this buddy road movie we call Verge ESP. Um, and we've got plenty to talk about, especially for it being kind of the, the, the doldrums of summer. I feel like we've got a, a good amount of stuff to get into. And none of it, none of it involves Drake and Meek Mill. Um, because I have absolutely nothing to say about it at this point. <laughs> I, I have one thing to say. Um, I was interested for about half a second last night, and then uh, Rihanna posted some photos to her Instagram account, and that was more interesting. So that yeah. was, that's that's my hot take. The, the lesson from that is that, like, at any time, Rihanna is fully welcome to just drop her album. It's it's supposed to be out any second now, and if she wants to do that and just get like divert everybody's attention at this point, I would be totally okay with it. Yeah, I would. That would be great. Um, I'm, I'm ready. So last week, um, I spent some time in uh, in the state of California, which is um, where Liz is now joining us from, and where I used to live for a very long time, and it was the first time I went back um, since I was since I lived there. And I was flying in. I mean, I've flown in and out of California a million times. Um, But it kind of struck me this time, I think because of True Detective and because of the opening title sequence where it's all these sort of almost abstract looking uh, aerial shots over the California landscape, both natural and clearly um, man, man affected. I don't want to say man-made, but like just these giant pools of brilliant orange runoff-looking type stuff, um, and it's always really pretty and disturbing. And uh, and I think because of the because of the show, I had a new attention for it. It was like, oh wow, I'm I'm flying over the True Detective credits for that terrible show that I'm still watching for some reason, um, and I was trying to describe it to somebody. I think I was trying to describe it to my mom. Or like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, you know what it looks like when you fly into California. It looks like death, um, but like beautiful death. And uh, I couldn't I didn't I didn't remember the I couldn't remember the name of what all that stuff is. Like some of it I feel like is like I want to say like nitro something or other. But anyway, I thought that I should ask you about why California looks all crazy. Well, some part of it is the drought, right? Like, right, yeah. Everything is completely dried. I mean, not that it's, like, especially wet here this time of year anyway. Usually what happens is, like, you have, like, a couple of months of things being green during the rainy season, and then it's all over. Um, but depending on what part of California you're you're going over, um, you're seeing a couple of different weird formations, right? Yeah. Like, this is, like, apocalypse co- country out here. You know, uh-huh. you've, got your, um, you've got your earthquakes, mm-hmm. you've got your drought, you've got your desert. Um, so, it, it depends. I mean, if you're around a place like Pinnacles, um, you're seeing all of these weird, beautiful mineral formations. Uh, Pinnacles National Park, I should say. It's Where is that? Central California. Okay. 
Um, um, it's like a three or four hour drive from the Bay Area, which is where I am. Um, that's probably is that is that east of the Bay because that's how I flew in. I usually fly into L.A., but this time I flew into San Francisco and I saw way crazier stuff than I usually see flying into L.A. <laughs> um, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 um, I would say east and and south. OK, southeast. Um hmm. I but, have a uh, I have a picture on my Instagram if you want to see it. It actually looks like the state of California, and it's brilliant orange, like rust colored, um, mm-hmm. but doesn't look natural at all. And yeah, there's something like there's just big washes of white. Just I don't and I don't know if that's some kind of mineral deposit or what, but it's always in these very um, you know it looks like somebody has has blocked them off these big pools of different colors. <laughs> um, well, so it. it there are red desert soils in California, um, and so some of that runoff may be coloring the pools. Hmm. Um, uh, but it, it could also be calcite, um, which is a, a mineral that sometimes forms uh, red deposits. But, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, hmm. I really it, don't know. That's <laughs> the thing where... Um, is it like an algae thing or something where there's they don't have enough of a certain kind of gas and they turn color or they 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 grow too much like they're they, there's nothing controlling them? Um, uh, this is me being very yeah, clueless. I mean that can happen sometimes. Um, it happens more typically. I, I, I mean the strongest piece of it that we're aware of is like the red tide, right? Where You're right, yeah. Um, you get this sort of rust colored ocean that kills everything yeah um so that might be that might be part of what's going on um but also i strongly suspect given again the drought that if you're if you're if we're talking about a body of water um what may be happening is that you're seeing a concentration of runoff mm. um including agricultural runoff of which there's quite quite a lot here right um that um, is more concentrated than usual. So that could be leading to algae blooms, but it could also just be the runoff itself that you're seeing. Um, all of the minerals in the soil that are landing in these sort of deposits. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, thank you for... Yeah. Um, for the... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, like, I, I'm so like, curious about the salt and sea, uh, which oh, is yeah. all like runoff and deposits. Yeah, and that's like there's nothing. It's gross. There's nothing I'm there. It's just it. it's just bird skeletons. That's yeah, it. pretty much. No uh, fish live there. It's really exciting. It's gross. Um, all right. Well, w- that was just a that was my warm up question. Um, we also wanted to talk real quick about um, the new album by Health, a band that we are both fans of. And somehow, when you said that you were a fan of it and wanted to write that, I was like, of course. It makes so much sense to me, but um, but uh, Liz's review of the album, which is called Death Magic and which is out this Friday, um, is up on the site if you want to check it out. But I don't know if you had any more thoughts about the band or the album or about industrial music and sexiness that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm becoming like the site's resident expert for really loud music. That's great. Um, <laughs> no, I so what I really like about health, besides the fact that it's obviously super loud and aggro, which are two things I really enjoy in music, um, is that there is like this sort of weird awareness of melody that they and structure that they often just won't like give to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
they like they know perfectly well how to make the song function as a, a pop song and just won't. Um, and so the, that's that's I think that's fun to listen to. They really um, started doing that more though. I feel like on this album because there are so many. I feel like there are so many places like and I think kind of the thing that they're promoting is their single, which is New Coke. Like there's the like the big like bass drop, like head banging moments you can see coming and you're ready for them and you're excited about them when they come. I feel like a lot of times on some of their older albums, um, which they only have two albums before this and they have had a big break in between this and the last one because they went and did the soundtrack for three. Yeah, well, the, are Max, you, are the you, Max Payne thing, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, okay. If you're not counting the Max Payne thing, I was just counting their um, Get Color and the the first right. one. Um, and not counting the remix ones, which are also right, great. Right, the disco, um, the disco album. But, uh, but yeah, but, I mean, before it was sort of like you'd be listening, it was sort of just like a lot of drum stuff and a lot of just like kind of abstract stuff and suddenly like a guitar would come in just like, <laughs> you know, pound you over the head, which is great. I love that. Um, they're also really fun to see live. Um if if anybody has ever gotten a chance to see them, they know. I'm really bummed out because they are actually coming to the Bay Area the same week that I'm going to be in wine country. Um, <laughs> You'll be doing the opposite of going to a noise show. Oh my um, god! I I my my teenage self um, who surfaced for that review um, because all of those those bands that I cite in the review are like that's <laughs> what I was listening to as a dirtbag teenager. Yes. Um, yeah, my teenage self is like, uh, when did you turn into such a bougie jerk? <laughs> like, wine tasting instead of going to a noise show? What's wrong with you? <laughs> hey, I, I did wine tasting when I, was, when I was up there in Sonoma. It was beautiful. And uh, I didn't go to a single noise show when I was in L.A., which is where I held this from, actually. I was going to say, actually, the be- I, I've seen them, I think I've seen them at a festival maybe once or twice, but... Actually, kind of one of the coolest things I ever saw was, um, do you remember there were, I think, two summers where the Boredoms did these shows? They did them in New York and L.A. where they had, um, I think on August 8th, 2008, they had um, 88 drummers surrounding their stage in a circle, in concentric circles. And this was, they did it in the L.A., they did it at the Tar Pits, which was amazing. Uh, and they played for 88 minutes nonstop. Um, just jammed with and but it, I mean it was planned because they had 88 drum kits surrounding them and like the noise was incredible and I was sitting right behind the the drummer for health was one of the drummers in the in the circle and they, he was on the outside and uh, I was right behind and it was like it was a very cool experience I like drums yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was that sounds like it would be amazing yeah um, I think they did I it sort of the summer before on July 7th 2007 they did it too and yeah I mean like the the drumming is obviously a huge part of it uh and what's interesting is the way that they use actual just like noise just like blasts of sound mm-hmm. um like there's like the like distortion tuba thing happening sort of yeah for song which is great like, you know sounds like um, a monster movie or something yeah, I mean, it, I, I, it sounded like that blat from Inception yeah. to me. Um, but they're, they, they do what Nine Inch Nails did really, really well, uh, which is figuring out how to use those like rhythmic whirring noises as like a kind of sort of sonic landscape, I guess, um, how to make them danceable. Yeah, yeah, and and it was always interesting because I think you you mentioned this like. 
uh, that you kind of had to wait for those remix albums to come out before you're like, okay, this is how this is a song. Like somebody puts a cool disco beat underneath it and uh, and turns it into something more poppy. Um, I think probably the most famous one is the Crystal Castles one, um, which is like great. And you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this time it's like they've kind of found that middle point between those two things while still being like plenty noisy and plenty overwhelming. They they've definitely like seem more like pop songs now, which is I don't know I like it I don't feel like it's a sellout move I just think it sounds cool. <laughs> no I well listen I don't I don't think it's a sellout move I'm pretty stoked about it not only because I hope that they sell a bunch of records and get to continue making music but also because I like dance music like yeah. I don't. You know, I I don't see there any being anything wrong with this sort of progression, and you can actually see it with certain um, certain of their precursors, including specifically Nine Inch Nails. Um, yeah, and I make that comparison sort of knowingly because I a they were tour mates for a while, but b um, uh, Trent Reznor sort of got into doing the cinematic scoring that he then wound up winning an Oscar for uh, through his work on video games. Um, You're right. Yeah. So there is sort of that that connection there, um, almost the model. I think if I was a musician, I would really, really enjoy the challenge of making music for a video game. It would be so interesting. It would be completely different from doing movie scoring or something like that. You have to find these modes that can just be looped and played on, but still have some kind of feeling of rising action or something to them, which I think would be, uh, yeah, it would be, I, I know nothing about composing music, but I feel like if I did, that would be fun. Um. So uh, I actually listened to the uh, Max Payne soundtrack uh, while I was going through the previous albums. I was sort of alternating between the previous albums and the new album um, mm-hmm. before writing that review. And it's um, I was listening to it while I was making dinner and it was like the most <laughs> dread infused dinner I have ever made. <laughs> like atmospheric and dark and lurky and like you know like I was like I this I'm making dinner in a horror movie (laughs) man that's an interesting that's an interesting activity choice I would do like I would work out before I did that like I would I would go (laughs) running to like horror suspense shoot 'em up music or something um (laughs) Uh, well, while we're on the topic of health, um, this is the ch- this is going to be the cheesiest, and that's also kind of punny, I guess, given the subject. Um, yeah. <laughs> while transition we're on the subject of health, dinner, and cheese. And cheese. Uh, uh, we wanted to, to talk a little bit about um, the GMO labeling uh, bill, or rather, I guess, the bill that's trying to block GMO labeling, um, which is going through the se- who blocked it <laughs> update me the, on this uh, it's on my one of my 20 tabs i have open right now so um last month the house of representatives uh basically um voted weirdly along party lines um to to um basically block gmo labeling on foods um uh-huh. The, the bill is officially known as the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015. The opponents have called it the DARK Act, which stands for Deny Americans the Right to Know. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Nothing we hate more than a denial of knowledge. We love to know things. <laughs> yeah, that's why, uh, that's why everybody is so ready for uh, all of the climate change that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, 
And what's interesting about this to me is that, like, usually on science issues, there's a sort of a neat partisan divide, you know? Usually you have the Democrats who are like, oh, the scientists said this, and the Republicans are like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But uh, what's interesting here is that um, the divisions are a bit weird. Um, so scientifically, there's there's no reason to believe GMOs are unsafe. I'm just going to say that, like, right now. Um, that's, like, they're tested, the yeah. Like the, the labeling is basically just fear mongering from my point of view. Um, and so the people who are anti-labeling, of course, are like fast food corporations or like large, large food companies, um, a lot of farm groups and then scientists who who are you know like, hey, these are perfectly safe. I don't know yeah. why they need to be labeled. And then on the other side, you have like people who hate industrial agriculture, people who have entirely misplaced health concerns, um, or people who just like think that transparency is super important uh, when it comes to genetic, genetically modified organisms. Um, so the way that that's being translated into to, to our sort of political structure has been strange. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, Vermont and Maine have both passed GMO labeling laws, um, mm-hmm. and in Vermont, that was uh, introduced by a Democrat, signed into law by a Democratic governor, and in Maine, it was introduced by a Republican and signed into law. And by these are a Republican, and governor. these are mandating GMO labeling, or that's the, right. Prevent, oh, that's wow. correct. Interesting. Okay. And like, I mean, it would be interesting either way because it's just like inconsistent. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so what's what's happening is, you know, after this August break, uh, this bill is going to be moving to the Senate. Um, and it's just not <laughs> it's not clear what the hell is going on. Just to be like that blunt about it, like how there's going to be like a, how this is going to divide out. Um, yeah. You know, and GMOs are, are not new at this point. Like the first one that was approved and used was um it was in 1995. It was something called a flavor saver tomato. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Magic. And the, idea of, <laughs> the idea was that you could um, have these tomatoes that stayed ripe and tasted better for longer. And they actually are no longer used because it turns out it's way cheaper to um, harvest tomatoes um, before they're ripe. And then transport them while they're hard and won't bruise. Right. And then gas them so that so that they look like they're ripe when you buy them. And that's why your tomatoes don't taste like anything. Fun facts. Really? They gas them? With what? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I wish I remembered. <laughs> oh, my God. I had, yeah, I had to say I don't like tomatoes, mostly because they never taste like anything and they get all mealy and stuff. And my mom gave me a tomato the other week. I've had so many conversations with people about this tomato my mom gave me because she grew it in her garden and she gave it for, for me to take back to Los Angeles. And I made pico de gallo with it. And I was like, oh, tomatoes are actually wonderful. A wonderful food. They taste like yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that's 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 why your supermarket tomatoes are just so terrible all the yeah, time. I don't is even that, bother. Like, yeah, I I God, this is this well, is my California privilege showing. I go to this, the local farmers market to buy my oh, tomatoes. Yeah, so. I mean, well, so here's the thing. There's two things. I'm I'm with you for different reasons, non science based reasons about the labeling situation uh i'm 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 with you mostly for uh like logical reason like like uh philosophical reasons so like in the case of, of tomatoes for example um i would just rather not bother 
getting a lot of foods. I mean, it's sort of more the local vor idea of shopping, where if something isn't in season and it's not available and can't be gotten in a, a cheap and efficient way, then don't get it. Uh, and I, but I don't think like, I don't think that the labeling of 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 GMOs is is like the right way to go. Like, I don't think that that's the way to get people to do the like get the right thing or something. I think it's more about like stocking things that are you know like just a, like a, a matter of curation, like buying like if you work at a department store or something like that. Like, well, some of it is like straight up marketing. Yeah, uh, you know, like. Um, there is a large supermarket chain that is, uh, and Chipotle, I think it's Whole Foods and Chipotle, both are like advertising that they, at least at, at my local Whole Foods, that they don't have any GMO uh, right. in there. And, and, that's, like, and that's, that gets associated with being fancy or something, uh, right. which is more what people are responding to than I think actual like legitimate documented health concerns. It's more like a... I read Gwyneth Paltrow told me that this is what I should have, so um, I'm going to listen to I'm going to listen to the fancy rich person and right. and model my values after theirs the same way that I try to dress like celebrities and have the same cars of celebrities and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I love Gwyneth, by the way. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to be bitterly divided on that, point, my friend. <laughs> Despite everything. Um, but yeah, but, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I have a couple of concerns. My main one is that if we decide to legislate the labeling um, and states do it on a state by state basis, you wind up with um, a lot of labeling requirements that essentially make food more expensive um, because you have to specifically figure out how to label for each market. Right. Um, and that, that potentially also could harm. You know, like people like the people at my farmer's market by like requiring them to, you know, label their foods or whatever when they're not really quite making enough money to 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 swing that kind of overhead. Um, right. So there's that. There's the fact that there's like no scientific justification for it whatsoever. Um there is, I mean, so there's all sorts of things. Are you telling me that really, like, I can be obsessed with corn, like, the most genetically modified food of all time? Like, I can be absolutely in love with corn because I'm from Iowa, as you are, and I will always love it with all of my heart, and nothing's <laughs> nothing's bad about that besides just carbs? <laughs> I mean, like, so here is my deal with GMOs, is that literally everything you're eating has been modified right. from its original form. Right. by domestication. Everything was tiny. Out, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like, if you've seen the history of corn, as I have, uh, also being from Iowa, um, you know that it went from being, like, basically the size of a thumb and super hard to being the delicious food that we now eat today so and also good. put in all of our soda. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, in some sense, like like you look at like what we've done to dogs, for example, yeah. like all of the different breeds that we've created. <gasps> oh my god, dogs are the corn of animals. <laughs> that's and our that's like, our headline. <laughs> dogs are the corn of animals. But I mean, like that's not that's not more extreme than what people are proposing to do with GMOs. But it was done over a longer period of time with older breeding methods. I mean, it's right. just another like tool for creating the things that we want. Like that's that's yeah. literally the way I view this. And at least with food, it's not like um you can breed some horrible respiratory problem into them or something and infect the life of a living creature. I mean, it's just right. corn. 
<laughs> right. as much or make as it I love like, it. Right, exactly. You know, like it's it's yeah. So that's sort of that's sort of how I feel about the GMO thing. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who feel very very strongly that GMOs are bad, but um, I mean, the editors of Scientific American, which is like a relatively non controversial place, uh-huh. like published an editorial entitled "Labels for GMO Foods Are a Bad Idea" in twenty. 20- 2013, which I would suggest anybody who wants to send me an angry email take a, just a, look, a look through. <laughs> oh, I um, I wrote about because this was when uh, it was Prop 37, right? In in California, that's um, the one. Yeah, because I voted. <laughs> yeah, I I wrote something on my Tumblr about it. <laughs> I got really heated about this for some reason. I mean, for me, it's it's also uh, I I I just think that there's something. It's like a butterfly. I, I feel like there would be like a butterfly psychological effect to being in a poor community and having to buy bread because it's what you can afford that essentially says this is bad for you or this is the cheap crappy bread like there are other ways that that is symboled or like symbolized to people through packaging and whatever like you're not going to have you know some kind of artisan hand-drawn font on your tortilla chips or whatever um but to actually have a label that says some rich people think that this food's going to kill you. Too bad you're poor. You have to eat it anyway. Like, that just seems so deeply just demoralizing to me and unnecessary. Um, I don't know. Right. And and again, there's no justification scientifically for it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're inflicting this damage for no reason other than that, like, maybe, like, I don't know, you wanted to feel fancy at Whole Foods, I guess. I don't know. I Like, I just, I, I am legitimately bewildered by this. Hmm. Um, well, when does that, uh, when does that get decided? What's the date? When should we be watching for this? So, um, the, the Senate's going to be doing whatever the Senate does uh, in September when they're back from their August break. I love, um, our, I love our technical language on this pod. <laughs> Senate's going to be doing some senate things. And um, so in well, September. Well, I imagine, yeah, I, I mean, I imagine they're going to debate and then they're going to fight about it and then somebody's going to introduce another bill and then they're going to be like pork belly amendments tacked on. You know how they do. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so it'll be a bit. Oh, man. Well, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it because for some reason I, f- I feel very passionately about it. Um... Uh, in, in a completely dumb, touchy-feely way. Uh, so, I, while we're talking about food, uh, do, is it okay if we talk about whiskey? Can we talk about whiskey for a minute? Yeah, we can talk about whiskey. Uh, you know me. I, I, I like any excuse to talk about whiskey. Um, so... This is a story that just like is like I somebody wrote this story for me. Um, but Suntory Holdings, which um, has really remarkable s- whiskey, um, if you've never had it, it's Pretty very good. good. Um, if you like Japanese whiskey, is like, good. Oh man, if you like scotch, it's like yeah, it's whew. the scotchiest scotch. It really is. Um, but anyway, so they're going to take six samples of. Um, Suntory whiskeys, and they're going to send it, uh, I think maybe some other alcoholic beverages too, but they're going to send it to the ISS, the International Space Station, uh, where it will just hang out and age for a year. That's so... Do they have any theories about what that's going to actually do to the taste of the whiskey, or is it just like, let's just see? Why not? Uh, well, so th- the, the question is what zero, zero gravity will do to aging, mm-hmm. and there are some suggestions that, you know, if there isn't any temperature change... And there's not a lot of convection of fluids and not a lot of shaking. Uh, it'll be mellower. So this might be super mellow space whiskey. 
<laughs> Ooh, that sounds amazing. Wait, what other uh, right? what other uh, uh, is it all liquors that they're sending up, or is it? Or what? Um, it, it looks like there's going to be um, uh, a 21 year old single malt and uh, one that has just been distilled. Okay. Um, I thought so, I thought you were saying there were other drinks they were sending up as well, but I mean the whiskey is obviously um, the most well, important. So the press release is in Japanese, which I do not speak, <laughs> um, and I'm I'm going off of our our report and the Wall Street Journal's report. Okay. Um, so they they know for sure that there's going to be a 21 year uh, single malt and something that's just been distilled, and then maybe a couple of other alcoholic beverages as well. Interesting. Um, but there's this is this is what bums me out that there's like no plan to make this available for purchase. Like right. I would for real like to spend the Verge's money on a taste test of space whiskey. Oh if my anybody God. at Suntory is listening, like hit me up. We will do it. Yeah, it's like uh, I I don't know. You can get like ancient ice from places. You should you should have like an ancient ice cube in your space whiskey. <laughs> that would be the most phenomenal drink of all time. It would be the most metal thing I've ever done in my life, and I've done some fairly metal, fairly metal stuff. Uh, that's 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 awesome. Uh, yeah, I want some space whiskey. Um, right. Well, um, I real quick wanted to talk about one thing that I did while I was in Los Angeles, um, uh, which I wrote about on the site. Uh, I went to go see the second short that has been released by Oculus. Um, Oculus is, has a uh, sort of uh, pro- a special projects division, I guess, called Oculus Story Studio. And they are kind of figuring out how to make a narrative film and how that what that looks like in VR, because that's something that a lot of people don't, I mean, we don't really know right now. It's very, it's fairly easy to imagine what games look like in VR. It's fairly easy to imagine how you could use it in real life applications like, you know, going to a conference in VR or going to just a meeting in VR or, um, you know, the the SNL did it for their 40th anniversary show. So you could kind of feel like you were there in the studio. Um, That's relatively easy to imagine. But what it feels like to tell a story, to tell a scripted story in VR is still very exploratory. And it's kind of exciting because, we're, we're essentially creating a new medium, um, you know, like edits, like we talked about a, a couple weeks or I guess more than a couple weeks ago, but a couple podcasts ago on the show are, um, you know, ver- a very recent invention. Uh, right. Uh, and, and a very recent thing for our brain to kind of grasp as a as a storytelling mechanism or grammar. And there are no edits in, in, in VR, which is sort of the biggest adjustment so no no edits at all yeah um whoa yeah no i mean they they do a fade in so so this this one that i just saw which is called henry um it has an intro that's sort of um it's sort of more abstract it's like there's sort of still frames that fade in and different parts of this sort of black void that you're in at the beginning um to just sort of introduce you to this character and then and then the photos go away and then you fade in and then you're in this this little room uh where the the story takes place um it's animated and uh their first film that they did was also animated it was called lost um and a lot of this is because the team that's doing this is um from Pixar and uh, Sashka Unseld, I think is the name of the creative director. And so it's obviously, it's, it's a pretty Pixar-y project. Um, 
but I just I I thought that it was I had a lot of I had a lot of thoughts about it coming out of it mostly um starting from the admittedly biased place where I'm not a Pixar movie person <laughs> um and this is a, this is a safe space for that um okay good great uh <laughs> I just I think um I'm so interested to see where this goes like this is I feel like a like this could become nothing and we could just decide that we don't want to pursue um, storytelling. And I was talking about this with Brian Bishop, um, who has who's written up some of Oculus's previous projects and other non Oculus projects. And it's a thing where they really don't you can tell that they don't want it to just become a gaming device. They want it to kind of not have that. I guess, for lack of a better word, kind of like stigma around it. Um, they wanted to have more broad applications and artistic applications. Um, and so, you know, they're really trying and they're really pouring a, pouring a lot of money into it. Um, but it's interesting to see what the team that they have assembled have decided what's important about a story. Um, like wh- what needs to be heightened in order for VR to feel like a markedly different experience or more satisfying emotional experience um, for a story. And it's it's very Pixar-y. It's very heartstrings tugging, cute, forlorn little creature, um, which I find that general attack, um, and especially in this last film that came out, Inside Out, the last Pixar film that came out, I find it to be pretty manipulative and um, <laughs> unappealing. But um, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever gotten a chance to see anything in, in VR, Liz? Uh, so, um, did you do the I, did you do the lightsaber thing? I did the lightsaber okay. thing at CES, and I got yelled at um, by Ryan Manning, uh, one of our, <laughs> our our video team, who I think maybe is helping produce this this pod. Um, because I wasn't excited enough by it. (laughs) Um, but the thing is like, again, like this is one of my, my concerns about the medium. Um, so I, I also had a weird childhood and like, wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television or play video games. Yeah. And so for me, primarily those things are social experiences. I don't want to be immersed in the world unless I have somebody who's like immersed in it with me that I can like make eye contact with and like make jokes with and whatever. Like, you know, one of the reasons, again, that I liked Magic Mike so much was that, like, it was an immersive experience, yeah. but it, because of all of the other people in the theater yeah. who were also screaming their heads off, you know? Yeah, that's very exciting um, for certain things, for sure. That's why I like, like live music in a perfect, like, there are a yes. lot of ways live music can be terrible, but when it's oh, good. Man, but when it goes well, it's like a religious yeah, experience. Yeah, it's the best thing in the world. Like For real. That's what you're continually like, chasing. Yeah. Um, like, I went and saw Elbow when I was still in New York. Uh-huh. And, um, God, what's the name of the song? It's the one that's, um, we've got open arms for broken hearts. Uh-huh. Uh, like yours, my boy come home again. And the whole crowd started singing. <laughs> and like, I, I look around and like, not only was the crowd singing, the crowd was singing the part, like the harmony, like one part was doing the melody and one part was doing the harmony, like un, unbidden. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like this moment of like, just pure joy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like I had goosebumps, people were crying. It was incredible. Um, and like I feel like VR, for all of the things that it can promise, um, doesn't do that. And in that way, is sort of sterile. Right. Well, so 
This is, I have a lot of different branching off thoughts from the same point that you're making. And like one of those is just that I think that it can be really, I think it could be genuinely scary. I think VR could be like, and and still have that sterile feeling, I guess. But I remember playing um, Mist when I was a kid, which is like, I've written a lot of a lot about Mist in the past, and uh, but it was, it was really like a very formative game for me. And I didn't play video games growing up; that was like what I was allowed to have because it was nonviolent, um, and because I didn't have a game console. Um, but uh, I remember. So there, it's mostly you know this rendered world that you're stepping through, and it's basically a hyper card stack. And then there are occasional points where a little QuickTime video plays, and there's real video footage of some there's like three characters in the game um and you know when you're playing it on your your cd-rom on your slow computer like you can you can hear the computer working a little bit to boot up this video clip um but it's always it would always freak me out so badly um because i'd been alone in this pretty static world um and then suddenly a human was there with me uh and i feel like the one thing that I did that gave me a feeling kind of like that of being genuinely unsettled and like having my brain process a new kind of story or or interactivity with a with a narrative was this this thing for the movie Wild with Reese Witherspoon in it, which I saw in very very bad conditions. Uh, it was noisy. The it's on a it's on the Samsung Gear, so the 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 resolution is not very good. Um, but still, I had that feeling of like, whoa, I am sitting or standing or whatever I'm doing in a empty clearing with Reese Witherspoon. And I didn't, I've never had that experience before. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> Reese and I have never hung out in a, in a clearing in the woods. And it was, you know, it was sort of, the only thing it's really comparable to is is, is the theater and, and, and being able to relate to a performer and a character in a very direct physical way um but vr you know obviously you're not just staring at a stage you're kind of in the middle of the action and so that was that felt very full of potential to me even though i didn't really have a good experience doing it but it seemed very interesting to me and i think right now um with oculus the the thing is that they want you to be able to lean forward and lean back and kind of have more of that movement and because of that, you can't really do that with live action with um, actors. And so they've decided that it's more important to be able to move in and lean around kind of more like a gaming device and then interact with a CGI creature than it is to experiment with what it's like to watch real people in VR. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Um, I, I don't know. I can... I completely agree. I mean, like, of course, we're writers, so we're already voyeurs. Like, everybody knows this. This yeah. is the whole point of being a writer is that you watch other people behave and then you write about it. That's, like, what you do. Uh-huh. That is that is the entire career of a writer right there. Um, so, like, yeah, there's something to be said for, like, being able to be wholly invisible um, in the middle of an art, a piece of art. Like, because I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you have, like, these cinematic dreams where, like, all of this action is unfolding around you yeah. and in front of you, but, like, you're not actually, like, there. You're just the camera's eye yeah. almost for it. Yeah. Um, so being able to realize that could be artistically pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't need to explain why you're there so much. Like, I think that's a thing where people try to, I think, 
people are trying to it's very easy to start to think of this as like the way you think of building a game where it's like how am I going to interact with this environment how am I going to lean forward how's somebody like how's another character or another like model in this environment going to interact with me and that I also think is like I'm fundamentally against like some of this other stuff is like okay some people some people like Pixar type stuff or you know care about leaning forward or whatever but I think like the idea that um, storytelling will be improved if it rotates around the viewer um, or not rotates like not physically but I mean like if it's all directed at you and hinges on your presence there that's very that's a very dangerous idea I think within I was art. gonna say it's <laughs> dumb yeah you know? yeah like like think about like for a minute like the a much older art form literature right like you have people who are like known masters of the form. You think of like Joyce, you think of Sorrentino, you think of David Foster Wallace, you think of all of these people who, um, gosh, who else? I could I could keep going, but they're who are very self conscious. God, even the Brontes, like even at the very sure. like, beginning, very self conscious about the fact that you are reading words on a literal page. Mm-hmm. You are. And you have creations that are that are literally words. And um, I think I'm, this is in my mind because I'm rereading Sorrentino right now. Um, and he, even in the, the 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 text, will be like, you know, none of this is real, obviously. Right. Um, and and especially with a first person narration, it takes place in this very undefined space where it's like, why is this person talking to me? Like, what's this setting in which I'm being told this? Right. And like you can you can totally like I don't know that you need like that sort of naturalism where you need to be embedded in that way. Yeah. Like, you can like that's the beauty of Sorrentino. He's like, I don't these are words on a page. These characters aren't real. Don't worry about it. Like we're just going to do some fun things here. Yeah. And like there is not that like there's always like this kind of like I see this in movies a lot where you have to like give a, a character a backstory like I care. Yeah. Or like, you know, all of this other stuff when it's like you can just actually just do the action because people will invent the backstory or create yeah. a backstory or give it motivation like you just do the action a lot of the time and and stuff follows yeah like we're meaning making machines like l- lean on that we're meaning making machines and we're kind of like inherently empathetic at least most of us are and we can we can find ways to invest ourselves in something that has nothing to do with us um, and that's actually one of the best things about art and storytelling and fiction is that you can you can transport your cares and your thoughts into this thing that is completely separate from you and get out of your own head and your own experience for a second or or find a way to overlap your own experience onto somebody else's and like find more empathy with other with other people in the world. I just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway um, so like you know the idea to me the most interesting idea that could be done with VR filmmaking is again treating the person who's got the, the, the headset on not as part of the, the scene or anything like that not as something interactive but as the camera right yeah well that's what um, Justin Lin did something like that for um, Google for cardboard he did a short called help I didn't see it um, they did it they showed it at IO and they showed it in like this weird 360 screen and I guess whatever conference center or arena thing they were in Um and I, I I heard less favorable things out of that just because it was like you were like a camera on a dolly being moved around, but you could look around, like look all over the place. And sorry, I just like spoke out of the mic because I was actually looking around because something in your brain <laughs> makes you do that. You're like looking around. You have to look around when you say that. Um, yeah, but embodiment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and and I think. A lot of people, because it was a very chaotic scene, it was like a, an alien attack in Los Angeles. A lot of people didn't know where to look, like what to, 
what to do. And I think there was, was it, I think that's the one where there's actually a point where you can't look, you can't turn around, even though you can hear something happening behind you. Like you can't look around fully and see this monster that you know is coming up behind you, which, you know, that makes me think that at least it would make for cool horror movies. If yes. if not for like moving profound works of art, at least you could have like a really, really crazy horror experience in that. But um, that might be the first real application of it. Who knows? Um, well, I mean, there's also the possibility of porn, you know. Oh, well, um, yeah. <laughs> Lux uh, Alpatraum. <laughs> is that how you she pronounces it? her name? I, I, I hope so. Um, but she's actually written about VR porn for us. Yeah. Um, and about like, you know, what some of the... Um, what some of the the possibilities are. I mean, like, obviously there's the whole idea that you could potentially be um, having sex with this person who is, you know, a porn star, you know, it's POV sex. But, like, the the other possibility is, again, the weird voyeuristic lurking where you're just very close to whatever is going on. Yeah, yeah. You can kind of choose which flavor you're into and which uh, which black hole you wanted to send down and never come out of again. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we should wrap up soon, but I know you wanted to oh, uh, talk really quickly about some upcoming movies. Or I did, I did. I had I have an important question for you yes. for, for scheduling uh, my cultural events for the next several months. Um, what movies are going to have really cool explosions and or take place in space um ideally movies would have both explosions and take place in space but i will take one or the other okay well i don't know too much about explosions um i mean i'd imagine there are going to be some good explosions in specter the james bond movie that's coming out in november um it's just a good bet same with uh uh, like there's a Maze Runner movie. I mean, it's, it's explosions are kind of easier to come by, right? Um, there's probably going to be a good explosion in the Star Wars movie. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. They, that's coming They out. tend to be pretty good about those. Um, I, But for space, the one to get excited about, I think, probably, and it might be a disaster, but I'm, it's a disaster I'm very excited about, is The Martian, the Ridley Scott movie starring Matt Damon as a guy who gets stranded on Mars. Um. <laughs> oh, I saw. I think I saw the trailer for this. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, it came out a couple or maybe a month ago. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, Where he like they think he's dead and leave him behind, and then it turns out, oops, he's not dead, but nobody can reach him. Yeah, that's um, that's gonna be fun. I'm always down for. I mean, I liked uh, I liked Prometheus. I I know nobody liked that movie, but I thought it was good. I thought the auto-abortion scene in it was one of the craziest things I saw at the movies that year, where it was both, like, highly emotional and also just ridiculous. Um, kind of like, uh, I compare that scene to the scene in Kill Bill Part 2 where she punches out of the grave. Yes! Um, those are two, like, incredible scenes of female endurance that make me so happy and excited so uh yeah no i liked i i I don't know i feel like i feel like ridley can pull this one off he's like what 90 or something now yeah um, well i mean i also really liked um moon oh yeah um and and that is just um sam sam rockwell is that right Mm -hmm. yeah that's just like him. Yeah. For most of the movie, like it's, it's like, like an actor's, even a volleyball. It's like an actor's dream. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just going to interact with Kevin Spacey as a computer. And, uh, 
You know, the sad thing is, like, that movie is so good and it's so unique. There's so few things that are... I mean, it's obviously... You can see its influences, but it's very singular. Um, and people, you know, that's why people were excited about it when it came out. And now the director, um, uh, Duncan Jones, he's doing the Warcraft movie, which kind oh. of seems like it's going to be a disaster or at least like maybe it'll make people who are into the game really excited and everybody else is going to be completely lost but can i tell you what i'm hoping for having heard this now though uh-huh. <laughs> is i'm hoping that this is his dune <laughs> and it's such an epic train wreck and he's so miserable that he goes back to making his own yeah. little weird art he gets even weirder years yeah yeah oh that's a good, that's a good, uh, I mean, it's an interesting career trajectory. It's, it's been tried and true. So, yeah. Well, so that about does it for us this week. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. This show happens every other Wednesday, of course. And uh, make sure that you subscribe to us on iTunes. It's Verge ESP. And uh, most any other podcast app that you have. And we are also on SoundCloud. And be sure to give us a review and a rating because uh, we like knowing that people are listening and thinking and feeling things. (laughs) Right. We like to know that we're not just broadcasting our thoughts into the void. We like to know that we're not just a bottle of whiskey floating out in space, uh, never to be, never to be appreciated for another 20 years. And on that note, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.